You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM. Streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. On some level, you have to be curious about what has to happen in the space between where we are and where we want to be. Coming to you from Arlington Independent Media, this is Choose to be Curious. Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Julie Williams-Reyes, pronouns they and she. I'm a graduate student studying philosophy at American University, and I'm guest hosting this episode of Choose to be Curious as part of a series featuring graduate and undergraduates who enrolled in the fall 2019 class, Topics in Philosophy at American University. Choose to be Curious is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. My relationship to curiosity is ever evolving. I've always been curious about transformation, revolution, and the impossible. Meaning that I'm curious about what can be brought into the possible. What are the bounds of our imagination? What other worlds can be brought into being? Worlds other than that of domination. Revolution and bringing other worlds into being usually requires a great depth of protest. And for this podcast episode, I started thinking deeper on protest. Who are the who's that typically engage in protest? What are the different roles people find themselves leading when their life or the life of those that they love are on the line? How does protest unfold on the media, in the archives, on our tongues, in our hearts, and in our actions? Where does curious practices of protest have their deepest roots? My research and personal experience led me to the lineage of Black feminism. Black feminist thought has a long history of resistance, rooted in bringing about the impossible. The impossible being the affirmation and value of their lives, bodies, and voices, that of which the system of domination tries to erase. Black feminist thought is rooted in advocating for a world otherwise through embodied practice and involves deep grooves of curiosity. This brings me to our guest today, Ayana Devante Spencer. Ayana Devante Spencer is a doctoral candidate in philosophy at Michigan State University, and she's from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. As a Black feminist epistemologist, Ms. Spencer's research examines structural epistemological challenges for survivors of sexual violence to argue that survivors face epistemic oppression beyond disbelief and insufficient public uptake. In particular, she centers the experiences of Black, cisgender, and transgender girl survivors in the U.S. context to highlight sexual violence as structural violence. Ayana has worked with Girls for Gender Equity, led by Joanne Smith, the Firecracker Foundation, led by Tashmika Turok, and Me Too, led by Tirana Burke. Welcome to the show, Ayana. How are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me, Julie. How are you? Doing good. Excited to get this show going. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. Curiosity is just such a fascinating uh, idea and practice to reflect on. Mm-hmm. Especially during this time. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for being here. Let us dive right in. I think a great place for you to start is to speak a little bit about your research and interest and maybe the work you're involved in right now. Sure. Yeah. So 
I am currently working on my dissertation, which is tentatively titled Constructed Pragmatic Encroachment, Tracking Epistemic Oppression in the Lives of Criminalized Black Girl Survivors. And so with this project, I'm exploring structural disparities in knowledge attribution itself based on subjects' practical states. And really what that means is I, I want to know more about how various attributors of knowledge are analyzing survivors' testimonies of violence. So broadly, I'm deeply concerned about the policing of Black girl survivors, and more specifically, the criminalization of Black girl survivors. I aim ultimately to offer an account of how Black girl survivors' responses to violence are overwhelmingly deemed as, quote unquote, knowingly acting with criminal intent, over knowingly acting in self-defense. And we see examples of this, like in the case of Crystal Kaiser in Wisconsin, who is currently serving or currently facing a life sentence for her responses to sexual violence. And so these are the sort of things that I'm really interested in that sort of go beyond the idea of whether or not we believe survivors, but rather how um, survivors' testimonies are taken up whether in court or in public discourse. Wow, that sounds awesome and intense and some pretty important work to be bringing to fruition in this moment. I'm sending good vibes toward all your endeavors, especially your dissertation. Congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, it's you know been many years in the making in many ways as curiosity happens, right? Like I began um, sort of just being curious about the ways in which people talked about Black girl survivors broadly. I was curious about the ways that sort of analytic epistemology could speak to what I was sort of experiencing myself and seeing through the experiences of others. And so, yeah, that sort of like nugget of curiosity is what I've been following um, that led me to this project. Your work does sound like it, have a, it has a great degree of curiosity to it. And you were speaking just a little bit a moment ago about it, but I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit more about how your own curiosity or how you embody your own curiosity and how it led you to Black feminism, both in theory and praxis. Yeah, such a wonderful question, Julie, because, you know, I didn't have the language of Black feminism or, you know, sort of the knowledge of the legacy of Black feminists at the time, but certainly my like preteen curiosity about my own experiences as a Black girl led me to Black feminism. You know, so I, I think about my experiences as like the only or one of two Black girls in my classes, uh, what it meant to sort of be perceived and talked about as not quite the right kind of Black girl to fit in with middle-class Black people. I also think about being a cheerleader uh, for Pompano City on an all-Black squad, being a Girl Scout in an all-Black troop, and enjoying that sisterhood. Different contrast to what I was experiencing in my classes as one, as the only or one of two Black girls um, in a predominantly white space. And so it was really, really nice to have a space where I felt deep sisterhood, but also not enjoying how others talked about us as the quote unquote ghetto girl squad 
or looked at us like aliens at the countywide Girl Scout meeting. And so, like I said, I didn't have the language of Black feminism to sort of talk about my experiences here or know how other people, other Black feminists before me thought about these types of experiences. But I knew then that something was up, right? Like I just began (laughs) to be really curious about the contrast Um, that I saw in the different spaces that I moved and wanted to just know more, you know? And I was lucky enough to participate in the National Forensics League in high school. Uh, I was a policy debater at Fort Lauderdale High School. And it was through this experience that I got the opportunity to learn about different philosophical theories. And, you know, doing debate, it was mostly your canonical white male social political theorists, right? So Kant, Rawls, but critical debate in particular exposed me to theories of Marxism, ecofeminism, and a splash of Black feminism. So here, I think, is really where I began to learn more about, like, the research, right? So it was like, I had a little bit of my own rumblings and my sort of pre-adolescent years. And here I am in high school. So, you know, a teenager finally learning about Black feminist theory. I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful debate partner, Louis Franco, who agreed to take on this project of learning more about how welfare policy impacts Black women in the U.S. and how the stereotype of the so-called welfare queen drives welfare policy. And so it was in that uh, work that I really got excited, <laughs> you know, to, to learn more, you know, to get curious about what else is out there, because I hadn't really encountered work like that up until that point, you know. And so that sort of covers middle school and high school. And it was really in college that I came to identify as a Black feminist, that Black feminism is my politics, right? And this happened, as many things do, I just was really curious about what social justice work was happening on campus. I wanted to get connected my first year. And I think particularly as a first-generation student, I was just so excited about college and all of the like, possibilities. And so I asked a professor um, who was and is the director of the Social Justice Fellows Program at Spelman College, Dr. Cynthia Neal Spence, you know, what can I get involved in? What can I do? Because at the time I was doing a lot more community work outside of campus um, and I wanted to get involved on campus. And she told me to go to the Women's Research and Resource Center at Spelman. And so my little curiosity um, and excitement about, you know, just getting involved in on-campus organizing I went to the center and got roped in to some really exciting work. I went and I, I met Dr. Um, Kumba, who facilitates the Tony Kate Bambara Scholars, Writers, Activists Collective, which was hosting uh, a conference just a couple of weeks out from the day that I met her. And she was just like, yeah, we need help. So come along. <laughs> and I just, you know, was curious about like what this, what this would mean. And it, it turns out it meant that I would find community of other Black women interested in Black feminism. And so that's really where it all began. Thank you for sharing your journey with curiosity and Black feminism. 
Black women lead integral roles and have paved the way for a great deal of political action to take place. As we know, we can think back to the time of the Black Panther Party with the exceptional food and school program. We can think even earlier back to the Sojourn for Truth and Justice, which was a call to Negro women to rally in DC to demand change and affirmation of their lived experience and an end to systematic violence in the early 1950s. Or even to Harriet Tubman, who attested that her people were free despite being in the midst of slavery, right? That dominant system, right? She could feel and believe in that freedom despite utter dehumanization. And then she went on to actualize it through her work with the Underground Railroad. And protests today are still largely centered around the cis male body and experience of violence. We can glean this from the death of George Floyd and Ahmed Arbery and even Eric Garner, while absolutely devastating and tragic because they could have been avoided if Black lives actually mattered under the law we have now. Where is the, count- where is the accountability for Breonna Taylor's death? Or even the 19-year-old activist Oluwatoan Salau, who disappeared just days after speaking at a protest for George Floyd and later found dead. And an even bigger conundrum is how do we ask for accountability for Taylor's and Salau's death through an anti-carceral lens? When we say the slogan, which is not really a slogan, right, but an affirmation or a staking of our livelihoods, that Black Lives Matter, that has to mean that all Black Lives Matter, from children to trans folk, and that they matter in such a way that things must change and not later, not in time, but the change has to begin now. As abolitionist Ruthie Wilson Gilmore likes to say, that we already have the tools we need to get started. It's just about reassembling them and experiencing or experimenting with what can be possible. So how does Black Black feminist curiosity aim toward a world otherwise? What does a Black feminist curiosity look like in a world otherwise, in a world where we do have accountability for Brianna's and Salau's death? where we do have affirmation of Black feminist work and protests and curiosity. How does Black feminist curiosity become intertwined with protest? Wow, Julie, you have such wonderful (laughs) and rather heavy questions in some ways. So I will do my best to respond um, and know that there are so many things that will go unsaid, but I'm going to, I'm going to (laughs) try. So I think Black feminist curiosity absolutely aims towards a a world otherwise, right? Like a world in which, as you said, there is accountability for violence. There is um, an acknowledgement, you know, first and foremost of the various ways in which violence is gendered, right? Because we also lost Tony McDade, in Florida, right? A Black trans man. And so the reality is, you know, all of these different forms of state-sanctioned violence are in and of themselves gendered in ways that a Black feminist analysis can sort of uplift and interrogate beyond sort of a single focus on racism, as if it's not intertwined with sexism, with cissexism, heteropatriarchy, ableism, and all of the different types of forms of oppression. And so I think 
one of the things that Black feminism can offer is what Denise James calls visionary pragmatism or Black feminist visionary pragmatism. Specifically, she says, Black feminists have used the term visionary pragmatism to describe academic, cultural, and activist projects that attempt to take a practical view of social amelioration while positing a vision of a radically changed, more just society. As with the classical pragmatist notions of meliorism, visionary Black feminist pragmatism assumes that whatever visions one might posit are instrumental and may not ever come to pass. The view is not utopian, rather the ideal set, robust social and economic equality, the end of systemic sexism and racism, serve as malleable guides that must be re-envisioned all along the way. Progress is made not when there are no social problems to be solved, but rather when we recognize that people have the power to solve the problems they encounter in their lived experiences, both as individuals and as members of communities. Now I'm partial to Dr. James as my spam and sister, but also, I mean, just phenomenal, uh, I think, analysis of the ways in which we can be curious about a future world <laughs> that we may never see by focusing on the issues of our day-to-day lives, right? That it's still worth fighting for that future world. Um, and so we can make do in some ways with the available tools towards this larger goal of this world otherwise by beginning with curiosity and imagination about what that world could be. I think I think that the Black imaginary and lived experience definitely at the outset in order to survive must be curious, although all life is curious. I think by POC people have had to be curious in radical ways to affirm any sliver of freedom and dignity and possibility of achieving worlds otherwise, that of violence and dehumanization. So it's this radical curiosity that is always dealing and intermingling with that which is deemed impossible, right? Like you said, that world that may never come into being, yet we're always dedicated and persevering and believing that it can one day be possible, right? So then we don't give up with our own generation, just as past generations have not, but we're always looking to the future and what can be um, by where we are in the now. Right, because on some level, you have to be curious about what has to happen in the space between where we are and where we want to be. Okay? Exactly. Um, and sort of starting with yourself, <laughs> you know, like what are the small mm-hmm. ways that we can practice accountability? What are the small ways that we can acknowledge differences amongst human beings, right? Differences amongst Black people, <laughs> you know, like how do we we take those those smaller measures um, while holding space for the the larger vision? That was really beautiful, and I think that is a great segue into the big jar of wannabe analogies. So I have three slips of paper here, okay. one for you, for me, and one for our audience that we drew earlier from the jar. They have random words on them, and we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with, with, with whatever is written on them. 
Okay. So would you like to go first or should I? Um, okay, you go first and then I'm going to riff <laughs> off of that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Okay. So my word is bread. Ooh. So how is curiosity like bread or how is bread like curiosity? Hmm. I I think the most curious thing about bread is probably its transformation, right? You know, it starts from wheat and yeast and then to dough and then into this fluffy mound with a hard exterior that beckons our curiosity, right? And so I think curiosity is like bread in the sense that curiosity is constantly changing and subject to change and Curiosity can appear to be one way in one instance, but then in a deeper dive or cut, it turns out to be more complex. Um, I also think curiosity is like bread in the sense that it could be found all over the world in different iterations, taking different Mm -hmm. shapes and forms. Um, Curiosity, oh, curiosity like bread could be shared and passed on, can be created together, it can bring people together, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. That was amazing, Julie. I know it's not a competition, but I don't <laughs> know about my decision to say you should go first. <laughs> I like bread. Bread is great. Okay. All right. Are you ready for your word? Yes. All right. Your word is river. How is curiosity like a river or how? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, that is a wonderful draw. I love rivers so much. I love water so much. Um, So just love, endlessly endless love um, to all rivers everywhere. Um, Wow. So I think rivers are like curiosity um, in that they are connectors, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think rivers are like curiosity um, for how it's it's moving, right? It's it's kind of <laughs> always in, in motion, right? You mm-hmm. um, are curious um, or you experience curiosity, I think, um, as a sort of ongoing process, right? It's going to lead you somewhere um, mm-hmm. and at different points, right? Like kind of like a river. You can um, jump in the river at one point and sort of let the current take you where, where it will, similarly um, to curiosity. You get curious about one piece of the world, one piece of the work, and it leads you somewhere else, right? Sometimes um, with an opportunity to um, connect with other people, um, with other organizations, with other folks who are also thinking about that little piece of the world. And also rivers are homes to so many different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the curiosity can also be um, like a home to many people um, because it is something that many people just as like a human practice engage in, right? Like you just are curious. Um, And some of, I think, um, the best experiences in uh, our home spaces are ones in which we can be curious with each other, dream and imagine with each other. Um, and so I think that's another way a river can be like curiosity or curiosity is like a river. 
Okay, that was really good and really great in the spirit of the moment. That was awesome. Thank you. All right. And for the audience, that is all you listeners, your word is diamonds. How is curiosity like diamonds? Or how are diamonds curious or like curiosity? Ayana, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here on the show today and sharing all that great insight and wisdom and lessons and experiments to to put to work with our own curiosity. And I know I learned a ton today. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. Of course. All right, everyone. That's it for this episode of Choose to be Curious. Thanks for listening and stay curious. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 FM. If you joined us late or want to catch up with this or any of the other great shows here on Radio Arlington, check us out online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can hear all my previous episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious, and on my website at ChooseToBeCurious.com. I hope you'll follow me there and on Twitter at Choose number two, letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send us your diamonds analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest host, Julie Williams-Race, and her guest, Ayanna Devante-Spencer. What Julie didn't tell you was that she had to make a pitch to host, and her approach to protest as a radical form of curiosity immediately captured my imagination and attention. It was a real pleasure to take a ringside seat to her conversation with Ayana. Ayana has provided a great reading list if you want to dig deeper into Black feminist thoughts on my website. Thanks, too, to Sean Ballack for our theme music. You're listening to Volantis by Cauldron via Blue Dot Sessions. I hope you'll join us again next time. And until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious is provided in part by Concentric Private Wealth, where changemakers develop clarity for today and confidence for tomorrow by centering on what matters most which involves more than just money. More information at www.concentricpw.com. Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network, a registered investment advisor. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Choose to be Curious is sponsored in part by realtor Christine Hopkins. Curious about real estate? Christine works with clients from around the world using her time and knowledge to build community. As she likes to say, community engagement has always been my big why. Working in real estate has helped me express that. What makes you part of a community more than living there? For more information, visit facebook.com slash novahousehunter.com.